Um, so, this morning we are continuing on with our series, Hope for the Holidays. So we work through the season of Advent, looking not only back at words the prophets have spoken, as we did last week, but also looking forward to the words of Jesus, that he is coming again. If you remember last week, we looked at the words that Isaiah spoke to King Ahaz 735 years before Jesus, talking with him about uh, a virgin, a virgin who would give birth to a son, and they would call him Emmanuel, meaning God who is with us. And we began to kind of get a sense for the expectation that the people of Israel had watching for this child that would be born, that they could see God with them again. And we began to imagine what this would be like when Jesus was born. You can imagine those who came and realized that this child had been born of a virgin, was a child of God, the Son of God, who came to be God with us. Advent is a time when we look back at words that look forward to Jesus' coming, and we look back at them and we rejoice. We praise God for his faithfulness, but we also look forward to the reality, to the good news that Christ is coming again and we wait for him. I have to be honest, Jesus' return is a mixed bag for me. And what I mean by that is personally, I love it. I look forward to it. I constantly pray, come Lord Jesus, come. Because I can't wait for Jesus to come and make this world right. To set this creation back the way it was meant to be to end tears and crying and pain and suffering and war and violence, to bring the fullness of God's shalom, the fullness of God's peace that includes prosperity and goodness and wholeness. I can't wait for Christ to return and bring these things. But on the other hand, talking about Jesus' return is complicated stuff. And the symbols, the symbolism, the different places, whether it's uh, Daniel or Revela- Revelation or Zechariah or the Gospels, Different, um, all these different scriptures that we bring together to hear it. Not only that, but the various interpretations of it. I mean, we see things from all the way from Christians who believe that Christ is not coming again and that it's purely a metaphor, all the way to people who it completely consumes their lives and come up with some pretty uh, uh, strange, sometimes surprising ideas of what that's going to look like. But the truth is we need to talk about it. We need to be reminded that Christ coming again is central to our faith. It's not a secondary or something we can you know, kind of take or leave. It is a central part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, that we look forward to his return. So much so that I would say that Jesus' second coming is just as important as his first coming. Is that essential to our faith? I know some of you have questions too. Some of you wonder, you know, are, what are, we, are we left with the, the, the prophecy teachers that you see about on TV or the ones who've come out with yet another book on the really important things that you secretly need to know so you will know when Jesus is coming? Or do we have to watch TV each night to see which country has joined the, the UN and which one hasn't and uh, which country has uh, outlawed Christmas trees at the shopping mall to figure out all these things? Or do we have to just throw our hands up and keep our heads down, saying we don't know and it seems too crazy? 
I think God has given us his word, one, to help us understand who he is, but also to understand how he works. That the coming of Christ, especially as we're going to be looking at this morning in Matthew, is not so much so that we can become spiritual speculators, but so that we will become rock-solid disciples. That we would be faithful followers of Jesus, even as things continue to become crazy. (laughs) That we'd be Not that we would be um, spiritual sprinters from one event to the next, but that we become long-distance runners, continuing to be faithful despite how difficult it may get, despite how ugly it is. How do we get back to hope? How do we begin looking at Christ's return and to receive that or to hear that as hopeful news? hopeful news that spurs us on, that shapes the way we live today. Well, as always, I think we get that from Scripture. Today we'll be reading from Matthew chapter 24, verse 36 to 44. If you want to look that up in your Bible, if you want to open to that page. Also, too, we have it here uh, in the bulletin, if you want to read it here. So read this with me. No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a hand or with a handmill. One will be taken and the other left. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect. This morning we begin with these verses of Matthew. It's sort of the middle of this, these words that Jesus is teaching his disciples on what his return will be like. And we're going to start there, these verses, and work our way out. And just to give you a brief uh, sketch, verse 24 describes, on what, describes what it will be like, what the end will be like, the lead up to Christ's return. And chapter 25, the subsequent verse, talks about how do we live faithfully, mainly through parables to try and help us understand how do we live in light of Christ's coming. I think of verses or chapters 24 and 25, something like a pocket guide to the end of the age. I love this part of Matthew because it describes the end and Christ's return in clear ways. There's a few references to Old Testament prophets, Joel and to Daniel, and some other allusions to Scripture, but it's pretty clear and straightforward. Not only that, but it's concise. It's two chapters versus the books of, like, for example, Revelation, which is great, but it's also a whole book to read. And there are lots of symbolism, lots of things to to account for and try to interpret. So I'm grateful for this passage. And if you are visiting this morning, and maybe the idea of Christ's return is something new to you, or maybe you've seen it mainly on TV and it scares you, I want to encourage you this morning that this in the church is good news for us. This is something we look forward to. 
Not because we look forward to the destruction of all things, but because we look forward to the return of Christ, our Lord and Savior. So let's pray that we would hear these words this morning. Well, if you would, pray with me. Father in heaven, Lord God, we praise you. We give you thanks for your word. We give you thanks that you have warned us so that we are not afraid by the things we see happening in the world. And we continue to pray, come Lord Jesus, come. Holy Spirit, please guide us today. Amen. So as we get into this passage, I want us to keep three simple uh, things in mind. We have three simple keeps, if you will. The first one is to keep hope. Keep hope. As we've already talked about, Christ's return will be amazing. He will bring his kingdom, and as good as it is, the fullness of life, presence of our God, God dwelling with us, will be amazing. The passage I wanted to share with you comes from Revelation 21, verses 1 to 5. Listen to this. This is John speaking. He said, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among people. Emmanuel. And he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Sorry, sticky pages. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who has seated, sorry, he who was seated on the throne said, "I am making everything new." Then he said, "Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true." As we were singing Dan's song, Emmanuel, felt tears welling up in me, thinking about God with us. Chapter 21 of Revelation talks about this, that God will be with us. We will be his people and he will be our God. No longer will the God's presence be attenuated by the distance between us and heaven. God will dwell with us. And that is good news. But not only that, but it will be no more of horrible things, no more tears or death or mourning or crying or pain. Let that sink in for a moment. Imagine a life living without these things. How good that is. No more destruction, no more pain, no more sorrow. The old has passed away. But not only that, but the presence of good things, life more full. Life in its fullest sense. No longer living, just trying to get through the days, hoping that we make it, but life filled with joy, as Tracy talked about this morning with the kids. And shalom. I know we often translate shalom as peace, but in Hebrew it means so much more than that. It means not only the end of violence, but it means the presence of prosperity. Everyone rejoicing 
rich goodness. Shalom, the fullness of God's peace. In Isaiah 35, the presence of the Lord is is, is set in the frame of a feast with the best foods, the choicest wine, the richest of meats, a feast. It is good. This is what we look forward to. This is our hope. And so it is good for the church, for us, the church, to keep praying, Maranta, come Lord Jesus. Come Lord Jesus, come. Fix this world. Bring your new creation. Make all things right and good. So with this in view, let us keep hope. Let us keep looking forward to Christ's return. Let us keep hope so that we will keep watch. Like a watchman. In the ancient times, they had a watchman who would watch through the night looking for intruders or someone who might be attacking them, but they would watch for the morning, for the sun to rise. And I think that's a great example because the watchman never watched wondering if it was really going to come or not. He watched for the sunrise knowing it was coming, but anticipating it. This is how we watch for Christ. Not wondering if he's going to come or not, will he show or not, we come with anticip- or we watch with anticipation because he is coming. In the first parts of chapter 24, Jesus tells us some of what it will look like leading up to his coming. So this is from chapter uh, 24, verse 5. It says, For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Christ, and will deceive many. There will be false teachers, people who mislead even the church. And we've seen plenty of that. So you'll hear of wars and rumors of war. Who here has heard of a rumor of war recently? So nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be political disasters. Not only that, but there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. There will be natural disasters. I don't know, has anybody heard about these sort of things recently? It's interesting. I, a friend of mine uh, was talking with me and said, man, it seems like things are like, getting worse. And because I didn't want to be, um, because I was reluctant to be like sort of those doomsday sayers, I remember replying saying, you know, uh, I don't know if things are actually getting worse or if we just have more uh, reporting on it. You know, we just, m- more accounts come to us because the world is so, so connected. But then I actually, just a few days later, I read um, from a teacher in um, Christianity Today. She said, no, actually, things are. They're recording more instances of natural disaster and more instances of human disasters, human-caused disasters. Things objectively, not just subjectively, objectively are getting worse. But here's the point I wanted to, here's the reason why I want to bring this up. So you're thinking like, Jason, is this really like your Christmas? Like, <laughs> this is really what we're talking about this week? Just let me, just bear with me. Trust me. Trust me. This is the part I want us to see. See to it that you are not alarmed. 
such things must happen. Christ told us these things. He told the disciples who were gathered around him in that moment, and he speaks to us today, 2,000 years later. He's told us these things so that we will not be alarmed. Because it would be understandable if we saw these horrible things happening and we began to think, Lord, are you really in charge? Our faith might begin to waver. Maybe we begin to question, is this really how it's supposed to happen? And Jesus warns us, yes. Don't be alarmed. Do not be afraid. Don't wonder if it's all working out. Trust him. Trust Jesus. This is not a surprise to him. This is not somehow beyond or unexpected for him. Don't be alarmed. He goes on to say, all these are the beginnings of birth pains. So we see these things coming. We see them already in our world today. These are birth pains coming. These are things that he spoke to the first church, to the disciples who were gathered around him in the year 33 A.D. And if it was so poignant for them uh, at that point, how much more poignant for us all this time later? That each day we move closer to his return. But it won't just be things outside of the church. Jesus says, then you'll be handed over and be persecuted and put to death. And you'll be hated by all nations because of me. And I know things have changed for us in Canada over the last few decades. Christianity is no longer the main religion of, of Canada in terms of power and, and things like that. And in, even in places here, like in the Kootenays, where Christians are such a small minority, sometimes it can feel like we um, have a black mark on us when we say that we are Christians, when we follow Jesus. But we also have brothers and sisters around the world who are thrown in prison, who are killed for following Jesus. But it's interesting, it says, then you'll be handed over to be persecuted. And I just want to make this point. Is that in Greek, the word behind that persecuted is phlipsis. The Greek word was often translated as tribulation. You'll be handed over into tribulation. So don't be surprised. Don't be surprised if we face difficulty because we follow Jesus. And don't think that, oh, maybe somehow uh, something's gone wrong, Lord. I'm, I'm facing difficulty Jesus is saying, don't be alarmed. This is how things must be. I was reading, I don't know if you've heard this, I think I've mentioned it a few times here, but um, martyrdom of the church, of Christians, is rising. If you look at this graph, very simple graph, I can understand that. Um, from the years 33 AD, time of Christ's death, all the way to 1900, they estimated there were about, documented about 14 million Christians killed, not just like died for natural causes, but died because they were Christians. And yet from 1900 to today, almost 24 million, actually sorry, 26 million. That means that there have been almost double the amount of Christians killed because of their faith in this last century than all 19 before. Persecution is on the rise. Christians, our brothers and sisters, are being thrown in prison, killed, tortured, harassed because they follow Jesus. But there's also good news. But I'll get to that in a moment. 
<laughs> I love you guys. You're so gracious to me. Just one point too early. Right? At that time, uh, many will turn away from faith. Persecution rises. Those who are not so convicted, not so committed to Jesus, they say, no thanks. And we've seen that. We've seen it in the Western world. Western Europe, even North America. Decline in faith. Decline in the church. But there is good news. The one who stands firm to the end will be saved. I've heard many uh, Christians um, talking about this, that they, they lament the fact that the church is shrinking across North America. But they say the good news or the upshot of that is the people who remain are really following Jesus. They are really committed to him. They're no longer following him because it's culturally acceptable or because it's supposed that you would go to church or because it's a great place to make connections for your business. They're here because they truly follow Jesus. We are here because we truly believe who Jesus is, not because we're trying to impress someone or go with the crowd. Increasing more, it's beginning to cost us to be a follower of Jesus. Jesus also said this, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. It's amazing to think how the gospel has gone around the world. In a few weeks, actually a month and a half, I'm planning to travel to a remote part of India to go and encourage pastors there. So often we've thought as the gospel being proclaimed in English and in German, that increasingly more it is spoken in Mandarin and Hindi and Spanish. The countries below the, below the equator. The church is growing there. The gospel is going around the world, and that is good news. These are birth pangs, so keep watch. Keep watching. But it's also this surprising dichotomy. Jesus talks about birth pains, and I didn't even get into the part where he quotes from Joel about uh, the sun darkening the moon of blood and the stars. And It will be tumultuous time. But an interesting thing, too, he said it will also be surprisingly banal business as usual. Let me explain this. Jesus says, as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be at the coming of the Son of Man. Okay. Noah, the flood, that seems pretty cataclysmic. But he says, for in those days, or sorry, for in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. They were going about their lives, just doing what they did, almost like they had gotten used to the, to the horrible things that, that were happening. It says, and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be with the coming of man. Sudden. And there will be people who are just blithely going on about their lives, thinking that they have eternity to live, to do as they want. So we see these two. On the one hand, it will be, there will be cataclysm, there will be wars and rumors of war, nation against nation, persecution, 
people leaving the church. And on the other hand, we have people who will be eating and drinking, marrying and giving and marrying life as normal. I'm not sure what to make of it. Jesus gives an example, though. He says, two men will be in a field. One will be taken and the other will be left. He also says, two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken and the other left. It's interesting because the inference I'm making from this is not only will people who don't believe in Jesus be going about their lives, but so will Christians. So will the faithful going about our lives despite the difficult things happening. So when Jesus says, keep watch, it has all the more importance. He says, therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the hour, or sorry, you do not know on what day your Lord will come. Let us keep watch. Let us keep watch so that we will keep living our faith. That we keep living out what we believe. Not just believing internally and privately and to ourselves, but that we would keep encouraging others, blessing people in our community, encouraging others in faith. Like I said, chapter 24 explains what his coming will be like. Chapter 25 explains or encourages how we should live in light of that. Jesus said, if the owner of the house had known when the thief was coming to dig through his house, he would, not, uh, he would have kept watch. He'd be watching for him. So we learn from that parable to keep watch. Then Jesus talked about a good, ser- a good servant. He said a good servant will give his people in their proper time, knowing that the master is returning soon. So let us work faithfully. He talked too about smart uh, fiancés, women set to be married, how they would keep their lamps full. They would be prepared to wait for him waiting and expecting him. So live ready. Then he too, he talked about servants or employees who had been given a great gift and they go and they multiply that gift. So let us multiply our salvation, the greatest gift we have received from Jesus. Let us not hide that away and keep it to ourselves because we're afraid that people won't like us. Let us take that amazing gift we've been given and multiply it. Encourage others in faith as well. And let us be good disciples. That we would serve the least. Jesus' last parable was about uh, the king says to his servants, he said, you fed me when I was hungry, you gave me drink when I was thirsty, you invited me in when I was a stranger. And the servants say, when did we do any of that? And they said, when you did these things for the least of your brothers and sisters. Let us serve the least. Let us feed the hungry. Give drink to those who are thirsty. Invite in hospitality for the strangers. Let us clothe the naked. Let us visit people in hospital, visit people in prison. When we do these things for the least, we do them for our Lord. Let us live faithfully. This is how we keep watch. This is what keep watch looks like faithfully living out the gospel, faithfully following Jesus fervently with, with purpose, with immediacy, because we don't know when he's coming. Let us live lives with urgency. I don't think keep watch means start tuning in to the prophecy teachers on television and buying all the books that they're selling on why they really have figured it out this time when Jesus is coming that all the other books were just prelude. 
that we don't have to watch the news and figure out, okay, what does this political situation mean? And who, we don't have to worry about that stuff. Just three keeps. Keep hope. Keep remembering when Jesus comes that it will be good. Keep watch. Keep expecting like a watchman waits for the rising sun. Not hoping, boy, I sure hope it shows up today, but watching with expectation. Scanning the horizon. And let us keep living out our faith. This is what watch looks like. This is what it looks like for us to wait, to anticipate Jesus' return. Let us keep living faithfully. Let us redevote our lives to following him. And if we have been feeling like, oh, I've kind of, I haven't been that engaged in mission lately. I haven't really been serving the least. Let us do that more. Let us redevote ourselves to serving the least, to keeping watch, to living ready. I love Advent. I know maybe some of you are thinking like, Jason, can we just have like a Christmas sermon next time? But I love Advent because it reminds us that we look back to the fact that Christ has come. And he didn't just show up out of the blue. The prophets spoke to him about him hundreds of years before he came and God was faithful and brought his son, salvation for us. Jesus came and not only that, he said he is coming again. And so we look forward to our hope. I remember when I was studying Revelation a couple years ago, one of my professors at Regent, he said, and he's, he's not like kind of one of the prophecy teacher sort of guys, faithful, Christ-centered, well, let's read scripture about discipleship. And he said, if I had one book, if I had one book that I could keep, if I was only allowed one, it would be Revelation. He said, this is a, this is a manual for what it means to be a disciple of Jesus when things are difficult what it means to be a disciple of Jesus in the age that we live. And I've been thinking about this, that this whole week as I've been reading through Matthew, as I've been reading, listening to Jesus' word about what it will be like when he returns. These words are so important for us. They help us, give it, they give us perspective on what is happening in the world that we don't need to be alarmed. And they remind us that we aren't to be spiritual speculators, but faithful long-distance runners that we keep following Jesus regardless of how hard it gets. And so this morning, I pray that you hear these words, that there will be catastrophes. I mean, the world is ugly out there. And there will be a surprisingly, there will be people benignly just going about their business, business as usual. And I don't understand how those two fit together, but that's the way Jesus said it would be. But let us continue to keep hope to keep looking forward to Christ's return, to keep reminding each other of how good it will be when he comes. Let us continue to keep hope. Let us continue to keep watch and keep watch by continuing to keep living out our faith. Let us do that as the church and see what God does with it. Amen.